Denim heads, and welcome back to the Sons of Selvage podcast for our second episode. This is a new podcast where a group of friends get together to talk about denim and, re- and related interests. Uh, this episode will cover four different things, including uh, current interests and activities, what we've been up to lately, news, what's happening within the denim industry, discussion topic. This episode will talk about how to buy your first uh, raw denim jeans, jacket, or shirt, and question and answer. We'll answer questions that you've sent in to us. So you've already met our founders in the first episode of the podcast. But let's do a quick roll call. Yeah, hi, I'm Andy. Oh, hi, Denim Heads, Lex here. Hi, it's Elliot here. Hey, guys, it's Kevin here. Hey, it's Tom here. And lastly, you've got David. But on that note, let's jump over to current interests and activities. Yeah, cool. Um, so my big one uh, was yesterday I was the inaugural guest on a new podcast called The Iron Sequel. Uh, which is run by a good friend of mine, James, who is massively into his film. And he's looking at, uh, strangely enough, the sequels that have kind of shaped people's lives or had kind of big impacts because everyone talks about kind of, you know, the big kind of initial films of franchises more than the sequels. Um, So we sat down and we went big and discussed uh, James Cameron's Aliens, which was really cool. It will be up. Uh, available for download in the in the kind of the coming week or so uh, and he's looking to make this quite a regular thing uh, bringing in various guests be it friends or people within uh, kind of film circles who, who will just discuss those kind of key sequels that uh, draw him in so uh, hopefully that will turn into a really good little podcast once it gets running. So I'd like to speak about season three of Dark I just finished that last night um, pretty crazy show for those who haven't seen it it's a, a German tv show um, it's a bit of time travel, a bit of sort of Stranger Things kind of suburban lifestyle um, and really great music by Ben Frost and just uh, overall this like fantastic kind of um, experience that starts out with someone going missing in a small town in Germany and just goes completely batshit crazy by the end of season three. Um, I, I definitely recommend watching all of it, although that being said, a good part of season three, you have absolutely no clue what's going on <laughs> uh, until the end. But uh, but yeah, I've, I've been digging that. Has anyone else seen it? No, yeah, uh, but it's on my list. Uh, and the fact you've mentioned, yeah, the fact you've mentioned Ben Frost doing the soundtrack has definitely drawn me in more. What platform? Yeah, is it? Netflix. Uh, Netflix. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's very very good. Are you watching it in German? Or are you watching it in English? Uh, just subtitled. All right, yeah. I had one of my mates who only like halfway through season two realized that the sound and the speaking, the mouths were not in sync. He was like, what's this? <laughs> yeah, the dubbing is pretty out, bad. It is, yeah. So he only found out halfway through season two that it was actually a German show. Oh, that's <laughs> Quite funny. funny. Yeah. Well, I love it. It's very good. Oh, so good. Uh, but yeah, season three, I guess the good thing, too, is that they've said from the start that like there will only be three seasons and it was mm. written very clearly for three seasons. So I guess the good thing is you don't have to worry about it just kind of dragging on until it becomes really shit. Um, I've been playing The Last of Us Part Two, uh, which is pretty epic. 
Um, I was a big fan of this of the first game, and this uh, just amps the ante. Um, it's a great combination of a zombie game plus um, something like Uncharted, and um, yeah, I've I've had pl- plenty of uh, nightmares uh, playing this and uh, freaking myself out. Uh, mm. I'd re- really recommend anyone um, playing it, um, and even going back to the first one and just uh, re replaying that also um the soundtrack is fantastic um cinematics are great and the storytelling is it's fantastic there's some there's some really nice um flips in the storylines uh, i won't want to spoil anything but um yeah really recommend it is it yeah. better than uh, than one or uh, it's hard to say if it's better it's 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 quite different uh, because it's you different. get different uh, viewpoints um from the characters and and um there's some uh shocking things which happen to uh much loved characters which are like i said i don't want to spoil um mm-hmm. but um yeah i think it it's it's definitely uh, more mature uh, of a of a game um and it really builds upon uh, the whole world that was happening in the in the first uh, in the first uh, game Cool, cool. I was a bit bummed in the first game because like I'm playing through the first one now, uh, just kind of getting caught up. And I loved how it starts in Austin, my hometown. I'm like, yeah, it's in Texas. And then I'm like, oh, no, nope, it's not in Texas anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big uh, road trip, isn't it, through, uh, through the States? Yeah, I guess they end up in Boston. Is that right? In, in uh, episode one? I believe so, yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, so also that yeah. the developers apparently be getting death threats because people were pissed off by how the season two mm-hmm. story plays out. Yeah. Oh, that and there's some weird, uh, like, there's, there's been, a, unfortunately, there's been some attacking of uh, the design of female characters because they've made them quite believable. And because they're not uh, skinny waist, massive breasted anime characters, some uh, morons have thrown their toys out of the pram. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think we need to at some point do a discussion topic around entitlement in particular, because like, yeah, I kickstart a lot of stuff and I won't go into that. But it's like people feel that just because they have the Internet in their hands, they can say whatever the hell they want about like Mm -hmm. Kickstarter campaigns, video games. Um, It's almost like the more bro-y an industry is, the more people feel they can just sort of complain about stuff uh, as if they've got the right to do so. I don't think I've, we've seen that in the denim industry yet, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I just haven't run across it. If you've ever read the comment section section on like the Heddles website uh, or the digital <laughs> denim website, sometimes people get pretty uh, yeah pretty opinionated about some of the jeans mm-hmm. they've got on there. So I think uh-huh. most most of these kind of uh, bad comments and things like that can be found on the message boards. I think that's where yeah. it's. I think. Yeah. Uh, you can find those uh, kind of opinions there. It's, I think it's people a little bit more uh, open um, on those platforms. I guess one. I guess once we start discussing like certain topics as well, like do you wash your jeans or not? Do you mm-hmm. touch them? You know, do you have water against them or not? Like all that kind of stuff. You'll uh, you'll have people who are for and against it. So yeah, <laughs> people come out of the woodwork. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We have, uh, for the last couple of weeks, been watching a show called Dear White People. Um, it's also a Netflix show, um, which is a little bit of a... It's actually quite, obviously, with the situation the world is in at the moment, with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and stuff like that. It's it's all about that. 
Um, it's about this black community at an Ivy League um, university in America um, and all the struggles that they go through with with racism, with uh, police pulling guns on them, um, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's in a little bit of a com- it's, it's kind of like a comedy. Um, so it's not like super serious. Um, it's obviously very serious topics, but it's it's done in a in a really fun way. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's quite light hearted. Like it's not something really hard to watch. Um, so that's a little bit different too, because I've been watching dark as well. And that's like with dark, you you, know, you can't look at your phone for one second because you'll lose the plot straight away. So <laughs> and that's with with dear white people is a little bit a little bit different. But um, yeah, we've been trying to watch a, a little bit more and listen to a little bit more podcasts and stuff about um, the whole Black Lives Matters movement. Um, yeah, trying to like educate ourselves a little bit on um, white privilege and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, even these kind of small shows, uh, they do help with that kind of stuff because it's all like small things that you normally don't necessarily think about um, that are being highlighted in those shows. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend it. It's easy to watch. Um, I think it's three seasons as well, like eight episodes each or so. So it's not too long. So yeah, pretty good. This, so what I've been into, well, this week actually, I've had a couple of um, quite good chats with Ben from Probacom. So I see you guys, or quite a lot of you guys, jumped on with Ben um, earlier to discuss the podcast. Um, but then I got back on a chat with one on one later this or earlier this week uh, to chat just about my business and stuff. And um, Ben's someone that I've kind of known of for a few years, never chatted to properly. He's a really nice guy, so we had a good chat about denim, about uh, the fashion industry, about things I made. And it's really good to chat to him. And I believe he's uh, setting up a YouTube channel to kind of try and create content towards the global denim hang we, d- we discussed last week. Um, so I'm going to be part of that. And I believe some of you guys are going to be jumping on chats with him at some point in the near future. I'm on Series 7 of Bob's Burgers, which is a very, very funny show. A little yeah, bit. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah, the girlfriend's enjoying it. Uh, that's like all we watch now. Uh, Can so you explain what that is? Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of like a cartoon, um, a la The Simpsons, uh, about a guy called Bob who runs a burger restaurant, and he's not <laughs> successful. Has three kids who are all pretty insane, um, and it's just about their daily life. It's uh, pretty funny. Like a lot of the voice actors come from shows like Archer, um, and a couple of others. Uh, so there's lots of like familiar voices in there, but yeah, really good, really good uh, cartoon. Mm-hmm. I managed to snag on the Ironheart Outlet store the uh, B2 uh, deck jacket, which they've got. So it's down uh, just under half price. Uh, and effectively, it's very similar to an M1 uh, deck jacket, but they've slimmed the body down slightly and they've uh, modified the hand pockets. So instead of them being side entrance, they're top entrance and buttoned, um, which because Ilya and I had a chat about it when it came up on the sale. Was it worth uh, taking the plunge? Are the pockets functional enough? They are. Um, obviously, I haven't been able to wear it that much because it's our pack of wool line. So in this current weather, <laughs> I die wearing it for more than about two seconds. But I have tem- <laughs> been tempted to walk around with it in my shorts. Uh, <laughs> and do, do a little, little Macklemore moment. Um, but yeah, it's a fantastic oh, cool. bit of kit. And, you know, 
I was glad I was able to pick it up for um, a very, very uh, reasonable price. Cool. Yeah. So anybody else interested in uh, the, the jacket Andy picked out? What do you guys think about that? Sounds fit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, enough said. Enough okay. I, I think I think it'll be a great addition to Andy's uh, wardrobe. I think it'll slot right in, and uh, I think he's going to be nice and warm and cozy for uh, yeah. for this winter. Yeah. For Andy, uh, I went XL. So I mean, we'll go into this probably during the actual main thrust of the com- of our of the podcast today. But uh, Ironheart sizing, being a Japanese centric brand. Um, especially on their tops you're usually at least a size up than what you would normally be in a western brand um so i had to go xl um and it fits perfectly uh, i was concerned maybe the shoulders might have been a bit too slim but it, it's spot on um yeah and luckily for me a deck jacket has been a grail piece for me for quite a while my uh, my wife has a, a, a a passionate hate of them <laughs> because they're so bulky but because this one's a slim down model it kind of uh passed muster uh but and i'm actually glad i got it because it is a little bit different to the standard one cool i guess uh, a second thing for myself uh i've been playing a lot of a board game called gloomhaven uh i won't go into too much detail about it in terms of the minutiae but basically it's uh it's essentially the closest thing I- i've seen to dungeons and dragons in a box um, and the regular old kind of bog standard Gloomhaven game weighs about 10 kilo, 20 pounds. And like you could easily fit a small child in the box. It's basically like the 32 ounce weight denim of board games. Um, I don't recommend anybody run out and buy that game right now if you're interested in trying board games for the first time. What I do recommend is um, there's a new version of Gloomhaven that just hit stores in America called Gloomhaven, the Jaws of the Lion. You could basically buy it at Target in the U.S. It's Target exclusive for a month, the month of July. And it's like um, streamlined down to like you just have four heroes. There's about 25, 30 scenarios in it. And it kind of like is like an introduction to Gloomhaven. So it's like a real easy way to kind of get into it and check it out. Uh, And outside of the USA, it's going to show up in hobby stores in August. So if anyone's kind of looking for like a, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons type experience in a box without a bunch of dice. Like they removed all the kind of randomness elements to it. Um, mm-hmm. Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is, is a pretty solid uh, place to start and you should be able to pick it up from August. Um, so I'm quite, I'm quite chuffed to get my copy in. I would like to share that I've been reading the, uh, the Monocle Guide to Good Business um, over the last couple of weeks. It's um, something I picked up through work and um, I've really been enjoying reading people's stories and startups and how they kind of got to where they have. Um, it's quite inspiring and um, interesting for me to see, you know, how, how people manage to do these kind of things. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the magazine series is obviously uh, really good as well. Um, and the way they combine these stories in, in, in a book is, um, is, is really good. Yeah, actually, I really yeah. dig the monocle shop over in uh, Marleybow. And like, I guess whenever people can come to London again and lockdown's over, uh, their teeny <laughs> tiny little shop and the cafe around the corner are quite cool spots to, to hang out. Yeah. It's a nice little road. So you could probably yeah. pick it up in there, Tom. Sorry. I had yeah, to explain they've... to my girlfriend, like, oh, it's a shop, but it's a magazine. 
they've done the magazine and then it's a shop. She's like, <laughs> yeah. can you buy the magazine in the shop? Like, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, they don't have it in stock. <laughs> no. So I think I mentioned in our previous episode that my current project, the Sugarcane 2014s, um, were at Maple Store here in Newtown, Sydney for a repair. Um, so I've got them back now. Um, so thanks to the guys from Maple um, for fixing my uh, my jeans again. Um, I can wear them again. There's no holes in them anymore. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's all done and dusted. And actually, my pure blue Japans um, they uh, blew out as well. So I had to bring them for a repair as well, which is a little bit trickier because um, at Maple, if you buy a pair of jeans there, they repair them like for life for you. Um, but I don't think they do repairs on jeans that you haven't bought there, um, or they didn't used to. Yeah, I think um, the guy from Heddles, he has he recently published a video on YouTube on how to repair your jeans using a normal sewing machine as well. So um, I checked it out for a little bit, which uh, seemed to be quite interesting, because I didn't know you could do that. I thought it's, you knew um... that. It's, yeah, it's pretty straightforward to, as David said, to mend a pair of jeans using a, 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 a normal machine. The one thing you can't do is you can't do knee blowouts. You can only do crotch blowouts. Um, oh, unless you unless you kind of unpick all the side seams to yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, but That's it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward to do. The only issue you sometimes find you have is with tension. Um, if you're not careful, it can kind of shrink the jeans in slightly. And it can get a bit lumpy, but it's pretty straightforward. So, I mean, if any listeners out there have uh, have broke their jeans and don't have access to uh, somewhere that can mend it with a darning machine, but they've got a domestic machine at home, you can do it yourself. Lex, you did the demonstration on your uh, IG uh, uh, on Instagram TV, didn't you, about something like that? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So at the beginning of lockdown, I did a few um, a few live demonstrations on Instagram TV. One was Sashiko darning, um, but the other one, yeah, was how to um, how to darn a pair of jeans using a regular domestic sewing machine. Yep. Um, so it's got an old pair of jeans and just kind of did it to show people how. So it's it is relatively straightforward. I don't think that stays live though. I think they they kind of disappear into the ether on the uh, Instagram live TV. But maybe it's maybe at some point I'll try and uh, put a more permanent demonstration up. I can work out how to do it. Um, I've been doing a bit of mending, actually. So, yeah, um, I've I've had – it's been actually quite a tricky project. Someone sent in a pair of, um, of stretch denim, but their favourite pair of stretch denim jeans. But mending stretch denim is a lot harder than mm. the type of denim we wear because when you kind of patch over it and when you darn it, the darn doesn't have stretch. So, again, it just creates this weird tension against the, the stretch. So um, – it was quite a hard project to do to get them to come out as neat as I'd like. And actually, they're not quite, they're not nearly as nice as is is had they been woven. So I've been doing a bit of mending like that. But um, yes, I'm guessing that's I'm guessing that's not a problem any of us will have because I definitely don't only stretch denim. I'm pretty what sure a, you guys don't. What about if you use um, some stretch denim to go over the top of the uh, to patch it up? Will that go? Uh, will that go with it, or would not not that, work? Uh, no, you're right. You're right, Elliot. That would work. But then the problem is when you stitch it on the um, the sewing machine. When you stitch it, the, the lock stitch. So that a regular sewing machine, um, the type of stitch it does is called a lock stitch. And essentially, the threads are going in a straight line, so there's no movement to them. So then, when you're sewing that on, 
the, the fabric might have stretch, but the thread doesn't have stretch. Um, okay. So that's what cause it, can cause the issue. So you could get it on, but then you're wherever you've got these patches, you're removing the stretch, so it affects the fit. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a shame, because like I say, it's this guy's favourite pair of jeans. He's had them for years and he loves them. But there's only a certain amount you can do them with a regular pair of like wars or kind of you know regular woven non-stressed jeans you can essentially make them last forever you can take them to bits you know repatched and redo busted bits um yeah, it's pretty amazing what you what you can do um but as soon as it's stretched it just it gets it gets to the point where unfortunately they they one day will have to die but yeah, yeah so you, that's you should- you should send him back a pair of rules and uh, say you couldn't you couldn't yeah. <laughs> you couldn't fix them. It is a shame. I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to say no because you know it's someone's favourite jeans. But at the same time, I think in future, uh, when people ask me to mend stretch jeans, I'm just gonna maybe, maybe do small repairs. This was a big repair as well, mm. just because it's. Um, you can't do it. You can't do it perfectly. I don't like doing. I don't really don't like doing something and it not being perfect. Cool, but I guess uh, to kick off the news, let's first speak about Rancourt. So obviously, um, we're a UK-based podcast, and the sort of heritage shoemaking industry is quite strong here. So you have a lot of brands, all roughly based up in Northampton that have been making shoes in the UK for a couple hundred years now. And, you know, they're, they're sort of strong brands. You know, you've got your Crockett and Jones, your Cheney, uh, churches, a lot of these brands. Um, interestingly, the sort of heritage shoemaking industry in America is a lot smaller. Um, you've got Alden, you've got, um, Allen Edmonds, uh, Red Wing and, um, Rancourt. And those are probably really the only, handful of heritage shoemakers in the USA. Uh, and interestingly, during the COVID-19 times, uh, Rancourt and company have been really struggling, um, I guess, to kind of keep their factory open and running at full steam. So one thing they've done recently in the past couple of weeks is they've basically decided to offer all of their handmade shoes at wholesale pricing. Um, so normally when a company manufactures something, they've got their production cost uh, that you know is the, the amount they have to pay to actually make the thing. Then they've got their wholesale cost, which is basically the the cost they sell it to shops to uh, to be able to sell that product on. And then the shops have their retail price, which is um, the price they sell uh, the product at to uh, to customers. So also there's sort of three prices for any given garment: the the manufacturing cost, the wholesale cost, and the retail cost. And everyone's got a markup uh, of a certain percentage that enables either the manufacturer the whole the retailer um to, to make to make the money they need to to keep going um so rancourt basically said well if we sell at wholesale instead of selling at retail we still make uh, a bit of profit but we able we're able to offer the shoes to our customers um directly at probably you know 30 to 40 percent off um this isn't new in any way in the sense that like when companies go to kickstarter or when companies manufacture and sell direct, they often are uh, either offering you the wholesale price or their retail price is, is quite similar to the wholesale price. But I think this is quite cool to see Rancourt say, hey, if we um, offer at this different pricing tier, people can still get our, our shoes made in America 
we can keep our factory going and and arguably keep what's a very small heritage shoe manufacturing industry alive. Um, so I think that's quite cool. And um, I, I should flag up when people go to the Rancourt & Co. website, if you want to take a look at this, they've got a good homepage that, that shows you what they're doing. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great idea, to be honest, um, especially if a company like that is struggling a lot, like hoping that this would at least like get them through this uh, this patch of whatever we want to call it here. Um, yeah, I think it's it's great. Um, you know, it, it's hopefully for them as well as just something to um, fill in the gaps at the moment and they don't have to keep doing this forever. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's great. I've, I've had a little look at their website. It wouldn't necessarily be my kind of style, to be honest. Um, but I do, yeah, I do see that it's, it, it looks like it's high quality. Have you ever owned a pair of, of their shoes or anyone else? Um, I do own a pair of, uh, camp blukers or camp moccasins, depending on what you want to call them from one of their big competitors, which is Quoty. Um, Quoty is also handmade, uh, in New England. Um, and for me, their black chrome uh, camp blukers are like my go-to summer shoes. So if I'm ever mm-hmm. uh, shorts, I've got a pair of uh, camp mocks on. Um, it kind of lets me kind of keep that sort of. It's it's like it's like if I can't wear my boots, it's the next best thing. Um, but yeah. I've been told Quoty and Rancourt are both pretty much uh, at parity quality wise. Um, and I should also say too that Rancourt makes a lot of shoes for other American brands that um, do really that want that kind of made in America heritage footwear um, and like don't want to manufacture overseas. So uh, I won't necessarily name those brands. I don't know if they're, they're vocal about this, but there's a couple of really nice American made shoe companies. Usually there'll be a company that offers other stuff besides just shoes. Uh, they might do jeans and shirting, whatever, yeah. but they'll often in court for their manufacturer because of their quality. So that's a really, uh, really well respected brand. Yeah, and I guess that kind of segues a little bit into sort of companies who haven't succeeded during this time. So obviously Brooks Brothers and uh, Gitman Vintage are America's two oldest uh, shirt makers. So Gitman's in Pennsylvania, and I forgot where Brooks Brothers manufactures, but I think it's East Coast as well. Um, But they both are in a similar situation where, you know, they make for themselves under their own brands, but they also make for other companies. And as um, the manufacturing throughput for other companies has diminished, um, these companies have both decided to to shut down their USA factories, uh, pushing manufacturer overseas to save cost. Um, and Brooks Brothers as well has also actually even gone into bankruptcy. Um, <clears throat> I won't go into the minutia of why these are, this is happening, um, if anyone uh, remembers the Heddles podcast from a couple of years ago, they've actually just started recording again, uh, which is great because I think Heddles is a big inspiration for this podcast. And uh, they did an episode that's very much focused on what's happening at Brooks Brothers, what's happening at Gitman Vintage, and what's happening at uh, J. Crew, um, who don't manufacture in the USA, but but is still correlated to this discussion. But I think it just goes to show that. I think almost any company who manufactures is really hurting right now because um, not only do you have to like sell your brand, but you've got to pay to keep the factory operating 
to make the clothes mm-hmm. that you sell as part of your brand. And I think um, what Rancourt's doing seems to be a a um, not a pivot, but you know, just a, a clever approach to trying to solve a problem that a couple other companies haven't been able to solve. Um, so it's it's quite interesting to see how they how they get on. Yeah, I wonder if if any other like shoemakers, heritage shoemakers, will will follow. I don't know how how much they are struggling. Obviously, like brands like Red Wing and um, all those others. Um, it'll be interesting to see what what this is all uh, is going to do to those those kind of brands. Yeah, it's it's scary times. And I think if if folks can afford to support these brands, like now's the time. Yeah. Um, I've been a bit I've been a bit cash strapped this summer, but like man, I really would love to get a pair of those uh a pair of um Rancourt Trail Mocks in natural Cremexel if I had a little bit extra cash on the side. Um so I think it's a, it's a, it's definitely a call for us who appreciate these heritage brands to try and support them. Um but yeah, I'm not really sure how the others are doing. Like you don't I don't see much in the news about Northampton UK based shoemakers and whether they're doing okay or not. Yeah. Um it seems like a lot of the bad news is largely American brands, but that also could be, you know, athleisure and kind of like, for lack of a better term, you know, white Reeboks t-shirts and uh, <laughs> really bad made jeans is, is kind of the uh, more of a, a common style in the USA. Where it's the like, norm. Think, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in like the UK, I think people do support that kind of more classic look that a heritage brand might be able to make clothing for uh, more so than say the u.s look mm-hmm. yeah i think it, it all kind of depends on where you are and where you live you got you get different styles um in terms of the british shoemakers i know uh, trick has had to shut down their factory um over lockdown which i think they have reopened now and um they're back in production now uh, i would assume it's the same for the other northampton um, shoe manufacturers um mm-hmm. But yeah, let, let's hope more uh, companies and um, factories are not affected, uh, both in uh, in the states and in UK and uh, worldwide. And hopefully, you know, things will start picking up again. And uh, people, if they can support, they they should. Um, and um, yeah, let's hope everyone can come out of this with um, a business on the other side. Mm-hmm. Speaking of manufacturing in lockdown, I presume you guys have heard of all of it, the issues that have been happening in Leicester recently. So for those uh, listeners not in the UK, uh, Leicester's a town in the um, uh, north of the country, which is known for manufacturing. And basically throughout lockdown, um, all of these companies like uh, Boohoo and these high street kind of Internet companies just selling cheap clothes, have basically been keeping manufacturing going throughout lockdown um, without any provision for social distancing. And it's created another outbreak of coronavirus in the city. Um, And actually, it's been a really big problem. Lots of, I think, brands are now dropping, dropping kind of these companies just for making kind of cheap clothes. And essentially, it's it's, um, massively underpaid. I believe some of the places are getting paid like less than five pounds an hour which bearing in mind the minimum wage in the UK is about £8.50, I believe. So it's really bad. You guys got any thoughts on that? I hope that it's it sort of raises people's awareness of what it means to buy something at a good deal, like where that cost uh, impacts someone else in another way. And I hope that this is a another means to for which 
people become aware of how bad it is to support fast fashion or fast sporting goods, whatever you want to call it. And like to not do that and to, to save up that little bit of money yeah. instead of buying 10 pairs of jeans, save up and buy two nice pairs of jeans or even one nice pair of jeans, knowing that you're hopefully uh, paying for a better condition for that factory worker who sewed those for you. Yeah. yeah. Vote with your money and you know, support good companies and um, who have you know good ethics and uh, as, as as much as you can do your research for for these things um so that's that's what i would i would say with this yeah i think for the, our hobby providence is such a big deal it's like you know who made it where did they make it and how did they make it and i i think um for the, for raw denim enthusiasts it seems like it's worth your time and money to read up on any brand before you support them um because I think I think that's so much about what we love in this hobby is knowing the story behind the products we own, um, you know, uh, and that really goes a long way to to making you love and cherish and hang on to that garment for longer, uh, because you you know the you know kind of the the story behind it and where it came from. And, um, so yeah, I think that's a good shout out, Ilya, to to get people to to do their homework. <laughs> Perhaps sustainability in denim is something we can maybe cover in more more detail in a future issue because I think there's some real contradictions in the kind of clothes that we buy because um, obviously they all use cotton which is incredibly water heavy in uh, when it's being grown um, and then it's yeah. normally quite a lot of Japanese denim so it's grown in Zimbabwe, flown to Japan to be woven and then flown back to Europe to to be warm but then uh, we never wash it so we will have a pair of jeans for six months without washing them and there's no treatment so there's these real kind of uh, contrasts between um, I know some elements of what we do being really sustainable and some elements maybe not so but I, maybe that's something we can explore explore more in a future episode. I was going to say there's definitely contradictions um, but you know if you do even a small uh, part to it it kind of helps and um I think if you educate yourself on these kind of things, you, you kind of the next time around you'll buy better, knowing, okay, I might have made a mistake this time around. Next time I'm gonna maybe buy something that's either more local to me or something that hasn't flown around the world three times um, to be manufactured. Um, uh, one thing you know is always good if you can go to small brands who are doing it themselves or one-man brands. I think that's another thing that um, we've seen, in, especially in the, in the denim scene. Um, you know, people making leather goods, jeans, shirts, what, whatever. There's, there's someone out there making something um, what we're into. So that's, um, yeah, that's it's always nice to support these kind of people. I think that comes from, like, I think a lot of people who run those, like, one-man businesses, they are so passionate about it because they are denim heads themselves or heritage wearers themselves um and that's why for those what i i, I see you know and I, I only see it on instagram and stuff like that but um the way that they talk about their stuff is is just like almost as if it's obviously they want to make some money with it but it doesn't that's that's second to what they're doing mm. it's all about that passion and that you know um, uh, that passion yeah and that love that they have for uh, for the products that they make because they are actual um, users of it as well I think at this point let's wrap up the news uh, before we do that I just want to quickly mention um, two other things so one is uh, 
A Continuous Lean, uh, which is a blog um, that sort of kicked off the whole kind of heritage uh, trend, let's call it, back in the early 2000s, um, is backlogging again. So if anyone ever read Inventory Magazine, but yeah, if anyone was ever into kind of the heritage trend as it first kicked off in the early 2000s, whether that was, you know, Todd Snyder and the J Crew, uh, Men's Liquor Store and, and their kind of surfacing of heritage brands, whether that was reading Inventory Magazine or reading uh, the A Continuous Lean blog, um, just to flag up that they're, uh, they're publishing blog posts again, and it's, it's really cool uh, and definitely worth checking out. And then lastly, um, uh, Lex has suggested that we do a World Cup of Denim. So um, it's early days, and we're not going to give away too many details yet, but uh, expect that we do a, a World Cup competition around our favorite jeans. So if folks want to start sending in submissions, um, either email us uh, at sonsofselvagepodcast at gmail.com or uh, message us on Instagram at sonsofselvagepodcast. Uh, tell us the brand you're thinking of, the gene cut you're thinking of, and which denim uh, that gene is in. And we'll begin collecting those, um, those entries. And then in a future episode, uh, expect us to do a, a World Cup of denim. Uh, so that's going to be pretty cool. And on that note, let's transition over to our discussion topic. Uh, so today we want to uh, help you guys out with the, the next big question you're going to have uh, once you get into raw denim. So in episode one, if you haven't listened to that episode, we talked about what got us all into the raw denim hobby. Um, and we presume that you're already in the hobby or just getting into it. So today we want to talk about how to go about buying your first pair of raw denim jeans um, there's a lot of kind of stuff you need to know when you get into the hobby. And, um, there's most of these shops that you go to, they know this information, but they don't have like a poster on the wall that kind of tells you these tips. So I thought we might just do a, um, a, a discussion topic here where we kind of give our tips for going and buying your first pair of raw denim jeans or jacket. Um, so does anyone, anybody want to kick that off with uh, your initial thoughts? Yeah. Um, I think the first two things you need to do before you um, go and buy it or go and get a brand is um, you've got to think of, A, what's your budget? Because that will impact ultimately what you're going to be able to get hold of, um, especially brand-wide. Uh, secondly, think about your body shape and size and silhouette um, before you going because and a lot of people naturally go towards the more uh, immediately fashion centric cuts so skinny um, or kind of a, a very slim taper but you need to think about uh, a you know the, the raw denim generally hasn't got um, any uh, stretch to it and um also is that cut actually built for you yeah that's a good it's a good point there uh andy and i think that um different cuts work for different folks and so maybe it's worth kind of um everybody mentioning sort of what your body shape is if, if you feel comfortable talking about it and what cuts work well for you yeah, so I can go ahead. Um, so I've got a quite a big waist for my height. I'm a natural 35 waist. I've got big thighs. 
Um, and I can't go for slim cuts. Um, and that was one of the first mistakes I did when buying. Uh, I tried to get a kind of a, a Levi's 511 fit, um, which is um, supposed to be a relaxed taper. And it, it kind of works if, you, if you're using stretch denim. But when you switch over to raw, um, those uh, things just don't match up and don't really work really well for you if you have those um, kind of big thighs and big waist. Um, so, yeah, what I have to um, kind of go for is either uh, proper relaxed tapers or um, straight cuts, which is something that I've been uh, getting into the last few years. Um, and I don't see myself really going back into um, slim cuts um, anytime soon. Um, one the some of the tips I would recommend is when you're trying jeans on, make sure you um, sit down in them, um, make sure you kneel in them, and just see how the back rises. Make sure you're not exposing anything to, it, you know, bystanders. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just make sure make sure it's comfortable. I think um, a lot of people think that you have to buy a denim which is really tight to get great fades um but at the same time um you want to enjoy your pair um especially if it's your first pair don't kind of don't kill it for yourself the first time around um um yeah i think th those would be my my first tips i guess on the, the fit side i might throw in uh something there so like Ilya, you're quite a, a a muscular dude and andy as well and you've kind of mentioned what you guys wear fit wise I'm probably the other end of the spectrum where I'm kind of just like tall, skinny dude and not very muscular. Uh, and I think what I learned the hard way was um, I thought because I was skinny, I needed to buy skinny jeans. Uh, but I've actually realized that when you buy a, a slim taper or a strong taper, any of these kind of fits, they're, they're usually, they get quite narrow by the opening. But us skinny dudes don't narrow body-wise, right? So like, from my hips to the ground, it's kind of like a, 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 a rectangle. And so I'm actually learning that tapers don't really work well with me because I'm skinny, but actually the straight cuts work better. So like a slim straight or even just kind of a, a slightly more relaxed straight uh, actually works better for, for skinny dudes. So I think um, if, you're, if you're a stick man like I am, you might consider something like an RGT Stanton or uh, like a 316 slim straight um, obviously, there's there's cheaper jeans in that same kind of cut, but don't don't necessarily go for a, a strong taper if you're a, a skinny dude. Um, I don't know. How, how, do folks want to maybe talk about what's probably the most important part of buying a first pair of raw denim jeans, and that's choosing size. Like, I think I think that's really important for us to talk about. Does anyone want to speak about choosing size? Okay, I'll go ahead. Um, yeah, size for thighs again. <laughs> that, that's that's <laughs> Yeah. That, that's that's for me but um i think it's important when going and buying your first pair um is knowing your measurements um uh know your waist size know your thighs you know know kind of what kind of leg opening you're you're thinking of going for i know some guys will want to have uh wear boots with them and that means you'll want to have a slightly bigger leg opening if you're kind of more into streetwear you'll want to have uh, a very tight uh leg opening um you know for your trainers to look good in um so yeah know your measurements i think that's probably the most important especially if you're buying online um try and match up your kind of current pair um 
and um, yeah, I think that will be the first tip. Um, I think it's also important to remember what the fabric is. Um, so if you're going for a Sam Fry's denim, then there isn't going to be a lot of change in the size. So you can pretty much go true to size, maybe a little bit bigger if you're thinking of washing it quite a lot. Um, but obviously, if you're going for unsam fries, then you've got to really consider what you're going to do in terms of treating it with water or not. Um, so if you are someone who does do a lot of machine washing, then at least two inches, maybe more bigger, depending on how much that unsam fries denim shrinks. Um, and Tom, for, for folks that haven't heard of sand fries and unsand fries denims before, could you break down really simply what those two kinds of fabric are? Yeah, of course. Um, unsamphorized basically just means that the fabric has come off the loom as it is. So there's still a lot of tension in the weave. Um, it's almost like if you pull an elastic band out, there's that tension still left in it. Um, so as soon as you wash it or put water on it, then it's going to release that tension and shrink, um, particularly the waistband because it's two layers of fabric that's going to really come in. Um, so when you're sizing again, two inches up from what you'd usually wear. Um, Samphorized, it goes through a process where it's stuck between two rubber bands and hot steam is applied to the fabric. Um, and this takes out the vast majority of the shrinking without changing the feel and the texture of the denim too much um so some brands will do stuff like burn away some of the hairiness and bits and bobs but generally speaking in terms of the sizing it's pretty much going to be the same for sam and there'll be a tiny amount of shrink but usually the fabric will be able to stretch out again if there is a lot of tension on you so if you find that you wash them and they're a little bit snug um a little bit tight around the booty then um bit of cycling and you'll be able to uh, stretch that out again so if i if i go into a, a shoe store and i'm buying a pair of boots or a pair of shoes they'll, they'll kind of tell me something like okay you're a size us 10 so if you buy a 10 you've got a, a little bit of like a you know half an inch or one cm at the front of the, sh the boot and it's not going to change in its size but it will get a bit more wide as you break it in H how can you simplify buying denim to something like that in, in terms of both if you're buying a pair of sanforized jeans or a pair of uh, unsanforized jeans, how how does someone understand that notion of like, I've gone into a raw denim shop, I want to pair it by a pair of jeans. There's these two kinds. Where do I start size wise and, and what do I expect to happen to these jeans? So say if I'm, I'm going to be kind and say I'm a 31 waist, might be a 32 under furlough, but who knows? Um, so say I'm a 31, I walk into a store, I'm like, give me some jeans. If they're good sales assistants, like I used to be, um, then they'll say, you know, do you wash them a lot? Or are you going to wear them completely raw, never wash them, do it the hardcore way, as many people in the raw denim community like to do? Um, let's say I'm going to wash them, wash them in the washing machine. Um, there'll be three types of jeans that a good denim store will have they'll have one washed so you'll be able to get that true to size it's already been treated with water um you can just get them i'll get a 31 and i'll be done that's it good to go samphorized 
I could get 31, maybe 32, just in case there is that tiny little bit of shrinkage that's left in there. Um, in terms of the length as well, you'll need probably about two inches extra than what you'd usually get, again, if you're washing. And then unsamphorized, two inches extra on the waist and probably about three to four inches extra length, again, depending on what the fabric is like for that particular brand. So I'd say unsamphorized, there is a lot more information needed while one washed and samphorized are the easy options, less stress. Um, and usually if you're get buying them true to size, maybe with that extra little bit of length, then you're good to go. So I guess to, to kind of play that back to you and see if I heard it right. So essentially if I'm buying samphorized jeans, which is 90% or maybe 95% of raw denim, yeah. um, if I expect it to stretch out about two inches in the waist, that roughly equates to one size. So it's almost like I should buy one size smaller than I expect. I would almost like one size smaller than what's comfortable, knowing that it's going to stretch out to be the size I want it to be. So if I try on a 32 and it fits amazing, if I buy a 31, it's going to stretch out to be like a 32. Um, so I might consider buying a size small, uh, buying that 31 or just buying the 32, knowing they'll be a bit more relaxed when I break them in. Um, and it sounds like if I'm buying unsamphorized, they're actually going to get smaller once I wash them. So if I find that 32 really comfortable, uh, I should know that when I wash it, it's actually going to shrink down and become like a 31, uh, but then stretch back out to like a 32 over time. Does that sound accurate? Well, the thing is with stretching out, it's only going to stretch out if you're putting pressure on it. So if you buy an unsamphorized denim and let's say I buy a 32 and I'm a 31 waist, it shrinks down, it comes into a 30. It's going to be really... Two sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unsamphorized will really, really come in. Um, oh, wow. Especially take, for example, like Levi's Vintage. It's like if you have the old cone mills... Uh, on samphorized denim it, you know really at least two inches um, and a lot on the length um, but if it's say if I bought a 32 in on samphorized and didn't wash them they're not going to stretch out because I'm not putting any pressure on it to stretch out while if they shrunk then they're going to be very tight you're going to put a lot of pressure on them and you're going to get almost like a custom fit where the areas that you're pushing out a lot and that are under a lot of tension and um, under a lot of pressure, they're going to push out while the areas that aren't won't move. Um, so say, for example, if I bought a 32 in samphorized, um, they're not going to push out a lot because they're going to be too loose to do any stretching. I would I'd perhaps say through, from all of this, the advice that we'd give to listeners is if, if you've not ever bought a pair of rolls and you're about to do it, go to a decent denim shop and speak to uh, and speak yeah. to the person in there to get advice. Because I mean, if you're doing it online, it'd be very hard to yeah, get it yeah. first time. Agreed. I, I, uh, I would also, I'd also say um, for a first-time buyer, just stick to a Sunfrize pair. It's so much easier. Or if you are going to go 
and Sanfrized, certain shops will do the, uh, give them a one wash prior. So, um, and Hyde, I got my first pair of Unsanfrized. I think it was my first pair from them, and they'd already done a wash on them. And so, effectively, I bought a Sanfrized pair off them. So, just go for that. You don't need to then worry as much, um, and you can crack on. I said the other thing that's worth being aware of is, though it's more prevalent in high street fashion brands, some uh, uh, denim brands vanity size. And so you will find a pair of jeans marked at, say, a, a 32 or a 34-inch waist will actually be a size up. So uh, one in particular, Naked and Famous, um, will sometimes vanity size. So I remember getting a pair and they were actually uh, a good, probably a good solid inch or two bigger than the uh, tag size. So I guess to um, sort of define, I guess two things. So first on the sand fries versus unsand fries, it sounds like to really keep things simple for first time raw denim buyers, just avoid unsand fries yeah. um, and, yep. and just stick to sand fries. And also arguably at the price point we're talking about, let's say $100, 100 pounds in that kind of realm, maybe even up to like $150 or pounds, you're probably only looking at sand fries jeans anyways. So mm-hmm. shrink to fit slash unsand fries, just like save that for your second pair maybe. Um, and then on the vanity sizing thing, I guess to kind of define that, because folks may not have heard that term before, uh, I think for a lot of clothing companies, when you look at the size uh, on the tag, the size is kind of indicative of how big the garment is, where it sits in your body. But if I understand correctly, vanity sizing basically says, actually, let, let me tell you how big this garment would be if it, if it was actually sitting up at your waist, like up at your belly button which obviously no one makes garments that sit at your belly button anymore. But I think that's kind of where vanity sizing comes from. It's like how, how big is your waist at your belly versus like how big is your waist at your hips? Um, and that's really confusing. Um, so I think it's probably worth us talking a bit about size charts and, and online measuring. Um, pretty much any good raw denim shop will have a size chart on the garment that basically says, hey, because this stuff's confusing and because these jeans stretch or they shrink or they're measured at different places, we've actually got a spreadsheet that helps you know uh, how big these garments are. And most of these guys will basically tell you just to grab a pair of jeans you already own. They don't have to be raw denim, just, just a pair of jeans you own. And they show you how to take measurements off the waist how to take measurements at the hip, at the thigh, at the knee, at the at the hem, and even the rise, which is how tall the jean is from the top button to the bottom of the crotch, and um, enable you to then say, all right, well, if I've got these measurements off my own jean and I know how this company does it, I can then translate that to their spreadsheet to understand what size is going to work for me. And so I guess if you do that with your, your jeans you own now, and you basically just keep in mind that if you haven't bought raw denim before, um, you may find that whatever matches on that table, you might actually need one size smaller because uh, that one size smaller in raw denim will stretch potentially to, to match your existing jeans, whatever they're made of. Does that, does that sound accurate? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would say so. I'd say the only problem is if you start to go to thicker denims and heavier ounces, 
the measurements might not be indicative as to how comfy they would be in that size. Um, mm-hmm. So people find they often have to size up from what they usually do because all the seams are going to be that much thicker where that thick denim's being rolled over on itself. Um, so you often need that little bit more space. As I found out with my 24-ounce Samurais. They're <laughs> 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 uh, very tight around the family jewels. Yeah, and on that topic about being a bit too tight, I think some denim enthusiasts, uh, some of these guys are even good friends, will often say, oh man, you shouldn't build even better. It should be hard to button your jeans when you first put them on. It should be a struggle to put them on. But I don't know, I, I think for a first-time raw denim buyer, that's actually bad advice. And that when you button them, sure, they might be ever so slightly snug. But it, I, I almost would like to, to suggest that if you're buying raws for the first time, and if you don't, if you struggle to button those jeans, you're never going to want to wear them, and therefore you're never going to break them in, and you just kind of wasted your money. I don't know how. How do you guys feel about that advice? No, agreed. Um, just be sensible. Get yeah. a pair that are comfortable to wear right off the bat on your first pair. And I, to be honest, I'd say that any time with a pair of jeans, the 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 kind of that thought process of they need to be super uncomfortable when you first get them on, and then they'll stretch. I think it is really just someone indulging their in their um, inner masochism. So just just yeah, get make sure they fit well, make sure they feel comfortable. Stand in front of a mirror if you can, um, you know, to make sure that they look right on you because you might think they feel really comfortable, and then the moment you stand in the mirror, you realise that you um, they're rather tight, and you, you know, you, you basically look like a badly a, a badly uh, packed sack of potatoes. Uh, as I have found previously with a pair of uh, RGT chinos, uh, I thought they felt amazing. Uh, however, when I put them, I stood in front of the mirror, they were basically spray on and you could see everything. So just kind of take that into account as well. <laughs> so I think, um, I think, Tom, you've hinted at it, but we should touch briefly on inseam. So oftentimes when you buy raw denim jeans, they're either... 34 inch length or even longer sometimes like 36 inch 37 inch which i guess is kind of a, a heritage um detail that people are trying to recreate but obviously if you buy if you're not a super tall dude and you buy a pair of these jeans they're going to be way too big when you first get them um and i do know that raw denim shrinks in the length uh the first time you wash it but maybe we should give a bit of advice here to, to folks about how, how to deal with the end challenge um, you know, cuffing, hemming right away, washing them a bit, or wearing them a bit, washing, hemming. Like, what do you guys think is, is good advice for that? Uh, try them on. See how long it is. Um, work out what kind of cuff you want to do, uh, which is, you know, probably a completely different topic. Do you want a cuff? Do you want it not? Do you want them just to sit normally uh, on the top of your, your, tra- your trainers or your boots? Um, or do you want a little bit of uh, length for that cuff or a stack um and then yeah get it hemmed just just get it get it dealt with um don't be afraid to take off less than you think you need to take off because then you've got that little bit of extra wiggle room um i, I think it's something really you should just get done straight away with a pair of samphorized jeans make sure you get work out the right length and then get it done I guess if you go into the right shop and you can sort of tell them how you want to wear them, they they can work out the math for you, can't they, in terms of uh, how to hem them? 
Yeah, they normally do. Yeah, when I used to do the Hemina Son of a Stag, it was always a case of customer trying them on uh, while they're wearing them. I'd be like, look, what are you looking for when these are done? When you're, you know, while you wash them, when you've done everything, you know, how do you want them to look? Do you want a single cuff? Do you want a double roll? And then once you've kind of worked out what they want, because especially it's dependent on the fit, they might want slightly different looks to the cuff. Um, certainly with looser ones, people don't mind a little bit of extra fabric and a bit of stacking. Um, and then it's better to do it incrementally. Obviously, it helped if they lived in London. Um, you know, I'd say to them, look, let me take a certain amount of inches off, go wash them. Let's see what they do. Because, you know, even within the same fabric, different pairs of jeans might shrink ever so slightly differently. All right. So I think uh, two two last bits before we wrap up our conversation on uh, buying your first raws. Let's talk a little bit about fabric weight. Uh, and then maybe we'll end the discussion afterwards talking about uh, recommended brands or pairs. So I guess on fabric weight, there's a, a, a whole gamut of raw denim that's like really lightweight all the way to like super crazy, insane heavyweight, so, such that, so much so that it can like stand up on its own. Um, where do we recommend folks uh, going weight-wise for a first pair of raw denim jeans? I mean, it depends a bit on where you are, right? Um, I definitely would say try and stay away from too heavy stuff like i wouldn't go i probably wouldn't go over like 18 or so um to begin with um but in terms of like the lighter weights um like if you're in a country like australia or i don't know like southeast asia where somewhere where it's a little bit hotter austin texas for example maybe you don't necessarily want to go for an 18 ounce either because that might be a little bit sweaty uh, you might want to go for something a little bit um, a little bit lighter. They will fade slightly differently, obviously, like the weights will um, will have an impact on that. but so it also depends a little bit on what you're after in terms of the end result after a couple of months or after a year or so. Um, but yeah, I, I would still say like try and stick to the slightly lighter um, kind of weights. Um, but that's my opinion. What do you guys think? I, I personally think that a um, uh, sweet spot is between 14 and 16 ounce, um, especially for all year round wear. Um, whether it's warm or cold, it will kind of it will do you. Um, and I also think it's a it's a comfortable fabric to um, to wear. Um, if you go too heavy, um, unless it's a loose weave, it could be quite uncomfortable, um, especially during the hotter months. Um, you probably want don't want to go too light either because that's probably close to what you'll find on uh, fashion brands and um, it might just not feel substantial enough um, but it all depends on you know on, on tastes really but yeah I'll, I would go for a mid-weight yeah my first couple of pairs were LVC 1947 501 so that's like 14 ounce um, and then some Oni 16 ounce so they're kind of a nice mid-weight that they feel hefty enough that it feels like you're not wearing high street denim. Yeah, I agree. I think 14-16 is a sweet spot for a first pair, so I'd agree with you guys on that one. 
I'm, I might actually challenge you guys a bit and say that for a first time buyer, I might suggest really trying to stick around 12 ounce. Um, Cause if you, if you aren't new to raw denim or sorry, if you're not used to raw denim, you're probably not used to that kind of stiff cardboard feel of a new pair of jeans. And I think if you start really lightweight at 12 ounce, uh, or give or take, you'll be able to wear those all year, even in hot places uh, like Texas where I grew up or, um, you know, like Southern Europe, those kinds of like Spain, that kind of stuff. Um, whereas uh, I feel like maybe saving 14 ounce for your second pair might make more sense because then you've beat up a pair of jeans, you've, you've gone through the fading process, you've experienced kind of the whole raw denim evolution. And now you're ready to kind of like, it's almost like once you've run a 10K, now you're ready to just train for half marathon uh, and then kind of maybe step up to a 14 ounce. Um, and then maybe for a third pair, then only jump into like the 18 plus ounce. Uh, that might be my, my personal opinion. I mean, when, when I've been, you know, selling jeans, uh, especially like first pairs, often people like that kind of hefty feel. You know, it, it feels like they're getting their money's worth from jeans. Um, and there's certainly some 14 ounce fabrics that don't feel like they're 14 ounce. They feel more like a 12 ounce. Um, I especially remember Tellison's midweight denim, which I think is 14.75, but felt as soft as a 12 ounce. So I I guess it depends um, on the fabric and which brand. So again, it's probably best to go in a shop and feel all the different fabrics. Tom, you mentioned Tellison, but I guess the final thing to cover is, are there any brands you'd recommend or which aren't going to be too expensive? Because, I mean, I think for a first pair, most pair aren't going to want to go in and blow 300 quid on a on a pair of Samurais or something like that. What what would you, what were your first ones? What would you recommend? What would you say is a good value pair that you're going to get a good quality pair of jeans? I, I always found like a good starting pair would be uh, Edwin Europe. Um, so either like the ED80 or ED55 cuts, which are slim and loose taper, respectively. Um, really nice fabric, uh, 14 ounce red line selvages. Um, you know, not super heavy on the details, but you certainly get your money's worth with the weight of the fabric. And I've seen some amazing faded pairs. So really good first buyer option. Yeah, I'd second that. The... Um... They were my first two pairs of Royals were both um, Edwin. Um, and again, not too expensive, good value for money. Um, so, yeah, that'd probably be my recommendation uh, to get in as well. Yeah, I guess I can uh, jump in next. Um, I think my recommendation might differ based upon where you live. So if you're US-based, I would actually probably recommend Taylor Stitch. Um, they use some really nice fabrics. They used to have a lot of cone mill selvage um, these days, I think they're using some sort of like Italian uh, selvages, for example, uh, and they offer a really great jean uh, for a really great price. I think they're only in the kind of hundred US dollar ballpark. Um, they've got you know kind of a slim cut and a more relaxed cut. Um, so that would be my kind of American-based recommendation, and I think their fabrics are probably in the 12 to 14 ounce range. Um, in Europe, I might actually have a less strong opinion so uh apc was my first two pair of raw denim jeans the new cure which is like a slim straight um 
I don't know how much APCs are running for these days. I'm guessing probably 120 euro, 120 pounds. But I think you probably get a pretty solid gene for the price. Um, well made and they fade nicely. Um, although I've never owned a pair, I might also recommend checking out like Nudie. I think they've got pretty nice uh, fabrics, a lot of fits and uh, a lot of different denims to offer. So that, that's my kind of European opinion. The only thing I'd say about APC is that the pocket bags break within like a couple of weeks of buying them, I found. Um, so many customers used to come in and just be like, oh, can I do a pocket repair? And they've got like zero fading on them and the pocket's just completely blown out. So sometimes oh, you've got to like really kind of balance some of the details to the price and yeah that's a fair point because though it took me quite a long time to wear them out i did wear through the pocket bags on both my pairs of apcs so so maybe maybe they're uh cutting corners in that part of their production and, and are not a good recommendation um i would recommend japan blue uh, i think you get a lot of uh, gene for your money um, the fabrics are fantastic um, they come from their own um mill um which is collect mill um the details are nice uh you got your you know custom hardware um and the fits um are quite good as as well for um for people starting out they have a, a high tapered which is something that i quite like um it suits me but there's other there's other fits available as well um uh, they're priced around the 100 to 120 pounds uh, mark. Um, so um, yeah, and, and you can easily get them through um, people like Akayama Denim, uh, who have a great service and uh, will make sure you're sized properly as well. It's the yes. brand to Mamataro. Um, so you're almost getting Mamataro yeah. quality for exactly nigh on half the yeah. price. Yeah, and you could do that kind of for a second pair upgrade from your Japan Blues up to the Momotaros. And, and then at that point, you'll mm. be able to understand some of the details that make them a more expensive gene and, and be able to appreciate why it costs more and why it's a nicer gene. But like, yeah, Japan Blues is a great place to start. I, I definitely uh, agree with that. Uh, on the jackets, too, the they're, they're raw denim jackets are really good value for the first jacket. Mm. Yeah. Um in terms of my recommendation, um, like what my two favorite brands at the moment are actually the ones that I'm wearing as well the most, which is Pueblo Japan. They're on the more like higher end in terms of pricing, at least here in Australia. I don't know how that is in, in Europe, but um, and the other brand is that's actually surprised me a lot is, is Sugarcane. Um, the sugar cane is all like in that range um, of weight that we discussed earlier. So they're between the like 12 to 16 range in terms of um, in terms of weight. Um, so perfect for beginners. Um, yeah, so, so I've, I've been really enjoying them. They have one washed jeans as well. So that was, you know, we're talking about the whole sand fried, unsand fried. They actually come once washed, so they don't have any shrinkage. So when you fit them in the store and when you try them on and they fit, that's exactly how they're going to uh, fit for the majority of the time. Um, unless you're like doing some crazy shit with them, buying them too tight and stretching them out, obviously. But um, yeah, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with them. So that's that's definitely a recommendation uh, as well. Sugarcane. Cool. And is, is your pair half uh, cotton, half sugarcane? Sorry? 
Is your pair made from half cotton, half uh, sugar cane? Of course. Yeah. I put I I I put a bit in my coffee every now and then. You know, cut, a, <laughs> cut, a, cut a piece Just off. Dip it. Dip it. Spoon full of denim. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's making me hungry. <laughs> I'd say two good recommendations for like entry level Japanese brands um, would be TCB denim and Ferro's. Ferro's, like they're both quite heritage in terms of their fits and their styling, but very kind of entry level price points. Um, Ferro's, it's all one washed. So it's very, very easy to just get your right size walk out shop you know get them tailored uh, hemmed exactly how you want um, while tcb will be more that unsanforized um, if you wanted an entry into the world of shrinking them down and both have very good shirts jackets um, i'd say with pharaohs maybe just beware of japanese shop sizing yeah i think pharaohs is a little bit sized uh, too small i have to especially for shirting size maybe two up uh from normal um the perfect hourglass figure like i have then it's <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. but yeah tcb are great shout um i think they are uh doing fantastic work uh not only for themselves i think they they're sewing for other companies as well um and uh i think one of the interesting things is every cart they release they use a brand new denim for it um so Every, every kind of cut that you go for, you'll have slightly different uh, experience with, um, which is, uh, I think, a really nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing too um, is, is you guys touched base there on sizing that's unique per brand and also per country. Uh, I think even within a specific brand, sizing can be unexpected. So. Uh, a lot of the, the more smaller manufacturers that we, we, we buy from, even from like season to season or fit to fit, like, you know, the slim fit to the straight fit, sizing might come up different. So I think if you are buying a, I mean, it's almost like as simple as if you're buying anything in the raw denim world, no matter how much you know or don't know that brand, uh, you have to have to work off the size chart online. Or you have to try them on in person and ask the sales rep how they're going to evolve. Because um, I know even within particular brands that I own multiple garments from, I've been surprised. Uh, so I think anyone buying for the first time, you know, got to got to do the size chart. It sounds like a faff, but it's worth it. Or, or go talk to the sales rep in, in, in store and, and buy uh, that way. I think a good example yeah. of that would be Studio Artisan. Within a fit, they'll have about four or five different fabrics. So let's say it's the 107, which is quite a slim fit. They'll have a one wash, which is usually about two sizes smaller than what it's labeled as. Um, there'll be an unsanforized denim, which is about two sizes bigger than what it should be. Hmm. Um, there's like a 16 ounce, which is uh, probably about one size bigger, but shrinks another two sizes. So like within one fit, you know, you've got four or five different ways to size depending on the fabric. Yeah, and I guess good online shops, like, like denim enthusiast shops will also tell you online, this jean's going to stretch an inch. It's going to stretch two inches. It's going to shrink an inch. It's going to shrink two inches. They, they kind of tell you what to expect when you break it in. In the same way that a good raw denim shop in person, the sales associate will say, oh, yeah, yeah, this fits like a 31 now. But in about a month, it's going to fit like a 32. 
And when you wash it, it'll go back to like a 31. So like all that kind of minutia around how the garment's going to live and evolve. Um, a good shop will tell you online or a good shop will tell you in person. Uh, and if they don't have that information, it might not be the best place to buy your raw denim. That being said, if you're getting a good deal or it's an inexpensive brand, you may not necessarily get that same quality of service as when you buy the higher end stuff. So sometimes it could be worth actually splurging and buying a slightly more expensive garment than you had intended to because you get that confidence from the sales rep or the, the website telling you how to, how, to, how it's going to evolve and, and fit over time. So yeah. on that note, I might suggest we wrap up the discussion topic and jump over to Q&A. Uh, questions and answers. We've had a two questions get sent over to us uh, via friends of the podcast uh, on Instagram. Uh, and so, Ilya, I don't know if you want to kick off with the first question from Ager. So, what's the best technique for uh, roasting potatoes? Um, I suck at cooking and um, have no input on this. Um, <laughs> I would uh, just, uh, yeah, throw them in the oven and uh, <laughs> put, put some salt on them. <laughs> that's yeah, you definitely got to, you got to boil them for 10 minutes first. Like that, that's, that's like a, that's a must have. You got to do that boil uh, before you roast them. And one thing I've never tried, but in uh, the Canary Islands, they've got some kind of special Spanish potatoes that are like mega, mega salty and like the, they're to die for. I don't know how to do them. I don't know the recipe, but look up, uh, Canary Island uh, style potatoes, they're, they're, they're incredible. Well, you need to know my answer on uh, the best roasted potatoes is that you baste them in pesto when you roast them, and that's mm. it. Works. Well, I, I don't actually <laughs> like potatoes. I don't like potatoes at all. So my technique would be to throw them in the bin. Or sweet potatoes. <laughs> I do sweet potatoes. I like them. Who, who doesn't like potatoes? Live, yeah. like potatoes. <laughs> I knew that'd be controversial. Freak. So, how can you live in the UK if you don't like potatoes? British and, and not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> This that's like the national dish here asian food is generally better because there's so much more stuff that doesn't involve potatoes <laughs> <laughs> all right um and so a second question that's come over from i love again chips uh, i never know how to pronounce his name but i think it's i love again chips um he asked us what is our ideal uh boot and leather combo obviously there's tons of great boots and tons of great leathers. This means high-end stuff. It probably doesn't mean entry level, but um, what, what's kind of the grail combo of an interesting leather or an uncommon leather and a boot that you guys would like to see made? Um, I'll, I'll kick things off. Um, I would love to see um, a, uh, I guess another tanker boot made from uh, Badalassi uh, cognac leather. Um, I think that would be uh, pretty special, um, just in terms of the color and the style. Um, it's not something that you see that often. Um, and after getting my black tankers, I'm uh, I'm converted and uh, I'm a believer. So that would be that would be my that would be my one. Tom, I really want to see a pair of R.M. Williams Chelsea boots in Halloween Chrome XL. They've never done it, but what what color? Oh, number eight. Number eight. Yeah. Love that burgundy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine you know the crease in across the Chelsea boot would just look mm. absolutely fun. 
Love a good pair you, of RMs. Yeah. I don't really know, to be honest. I'm not too deep into the different leathers and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, as I said, I have a pair of RM Williams and a pair of Iron Rangers, Red Wings. And, like, they do the job for me. Like, I, you know, if I see people on Instagram that have, like, 40 different type of boots, I'm like, I've got two. They do the trick for now. So, yeah, I haven't really looked into it. Um, to be honest, sorry about that, but so I have no answer to this. Lex, what would be yours? I'm I'm agreeing with Kevin here. I've I've only got a few pairs of boots: black boot and a brown boot. That's all you need, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to be honest, when, when you go into someone like the Red Wings store, anyway, there's way too much choice. Anyway, I find it hard enough choosing. Yet, let alone they introduce more combinations. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, gonna agree with Kevin on that one. Yes, I've got I've got two. Um, one is it's actually I call it a grail boot, but it's actually available right now. So a couple of weeks ago, Vibrig released uh, a Calvados uh, Shell Cordovan collection. So Calvados is basically an apple brandy uh, from the Normandy region of France. Um, and they did this Shell Cordovan that basically looks like that color. It's not as orange slash red as a whiskey leather color uh, it's more of kind of a, a goldish tan um they did it i think they call it their halket service boot so it's the service boot pattern it's shell cordovan it's this lovely kind of light yellowish goldish cognac color it's a gorgeous gorgeous boot so that would probably be sort of uh, a grail boot for me um the other thing is i've got uh, a, a, an addiction to i guess what people call murdered out boots so basically boots that are pure black uh and i've collected a couple uh over the years that i i really have loved and are kind of uh special to me in different ways but i think it'd be interesting if it was possible to make a leather that uses dye like you know there's those companies that are inventing those paints that are like the blackest possible black paints yeah um I, there's all these different names where like people keep making a, a, a black that's even more dark than before. Um, it'd be crazy if someone figured out how to like dye leather, either like a Chromexel or a, a Cordovan, using one of those paints that are dyes that make a dye out of it. That's like the blackest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, that that'd be kind of cool, but I'm guessing that's probably not possible. <laughs> yeah, I think the trouble is that because it's so black, it absorbs all the heat around it. So you might find your feet will melt out your shoes <laughs> uh, i get really cold feet because i'm such a skinny dude so like i am i'm, I'm down <laughs> good for you then yeah <laughs> i never have feet sweat to problems. the arctic yeah no i've had i had a few questions from uh, one of my mates tim um but cool. i think we've covered most of them off during the um um discussion on um buying a first pair of raw denim so um if not tim hopefully he'll be listening to episode two give me a shout and we'll uh, cover off some more questions in the in the next one all right well i guess on that note let's wrap things up so i want to say uh thanks to everyone who tuned in for the second episode of the sons of selvage podcast uh we hope you'll join us again next month uh this is going to be a monthly podcast um and in the meantime please subscribe to us if you haven't already we're on itunes we're on spotify we're on Google Podcasts and we're on Stitcher. Obviously, if you can give us a rating and a review, that'll really help us know how to improve each episode so uh, they keep getting better. 
Also, if you can do, follow us on Instagram. We're at Sons of Selvage Podcast. And you can also email us, uh, Sons of Selvage Podcast at uh, gmail.com. Any questions or discussion topics that you'd like us to cover in future episodes. And also, don't forget to start sending in those submissions for the, the World Cup of Denim. Um, And on that note, I think uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening in and look forward to speaking to you again next month. Cool. See ya. Leave that in there. Yeah, I will. Uh, that, that's our official uh, sign-off note from, from Tom there. It's like a Ouija board. Hello. Lex, give us two clicks if you hear us, one click if you don't. Three. No, no swipes. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's the ghost of Lex. Swipe, swipe left if you're uh, in the right call. Swipe right if you're still in the zone. Wherever he is, he's angry. Tori's just got a really good mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Can anyone WhatsApp him that has uh, access to WhatsApp? It's not swearing yet. So. <laughs> a lot of it's a lot of porn windows to close before you. <laughs> well, oh, before you jump on the. Uh... You close yeah. one, there's ten new Share ones screen. that open up. Yes, yeah, Sorry, guys. I was doing uh, some uh, research for the episode. I was on some really high-level websites. Like what? Uh, browsers. <laughs> research and fades. <laughs> From blowouts. <laughs> and porno fakes daisydukes.com <laughs> yeah I was on a I was on a website I thought it was, it was about denim face called fade agent but it was actually fake agent <laughs> <laughs> she's not wearing any jeans uh... <laughs> she's not wearing anything how dare she not wear salvage? <laughs> I wonder I wonder if I should like boot him and have him rejoin or something. <laughs>